You're listening to the Namely Marley podcast, episode number 39. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. I'm your host, Marley. The goal of this podcast is to focus on adding a little creative, healthy, and passion-filled living to your day every day. Today I'm talking with Matt Frazier. He's otherwise known as the No Meat Athlete. He's a blogger, author, podcaster, runner. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more things I could add to that uh, title, but let's just go with that for now. <laughs> Matt is an inspiring voice in the vegan community, and he talks about his passion for running, um, but also the way he eats as well, which I would describe as, you know, a very clean plant-based diet. That's because he prefers to eat foods that don't have labels. And I think, wow, you know, if you're struggling with reading labels and you find it frustrating, why not just uh, eat foods that don't have labels? And if you're wondering what that would be, it's typically found in the produce section. So we're talking about cabbage and bananas and lettuce and, you know, peppers and all those kinds of things, you know, just fruits and vegetables, um, nuts that you can buy in the bulk section, things like that. You know, think about it environmentally, you know, you're not going to have uh, containers that you have to recycle as much, not as much plastic, which is wonderful too. So there's a lot of good benefits to this no label uh, diet. I like it. (laughs) So if you think that's too tall a task for where you're at right now, I get you. I totally understand. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's a lot of people that go from a standard American diet straight to this very clean plant-based diet overnight. I think there's probably a few that do that, but I don't think that's a common trend. I think what will probably more than likely happen with most people is that um, you'll go from the standard American diet to maybe adding meatless Mondays in your routine, and then maybe adding another day where you uh, have vegetarian meals. And in fact, uh, for a lot of us, uh, it goes from the standard American diet to a vegetarian diet, and then from the vegetarian diet to a vegan diet that's you know very comfort food and easy and relying on a lot of products. And there's no problem with that. That's great. But then from there, progressing to adding more and more plants uh, in your everyday diet and to the point that you're this, you know, plant-based diet, that's what you're you're having every day. So I think, I think that's a, a nice progression to think about and to not put too much pressure on yourself to just like immediately adopt all these things overnight. And I think that actually the same can be true as uh, of exercise. Actually, Matt and I talk about that you don't have to run a marathon next week. Why not start uh, by running around the block? You know, those small habits, they add up over time. And, and if you think about it, um, if you run around the block two or three times a week, and you do that over the course of the year, you're going to be much better off than if you, you know, decide tomorrow that you have to run a marathon and you're, you're out running like crazy, but then you don't actually keep up with it and then you stop. So, you know, think about it over the course of a year, the benefits that you're going to get from keeping at these small, steady habits is uh, much greater. So, you know, we're going into this time of year where uh, everybody's going to be thinking about New Year's resolutions and goals for improved health. I just think that today's episode is going to be a great primer for you in getting ready for 2017 and doing it in a way that is just going to feel like it's um, full of some self-discipline, full of achieving some goals that you have in mind related to your health. And I think you know because Matt talks about the importance of habits and the profound 
nature of taking small steps to lead you to these goals, I think you're going to find this to be a really good interview. I really was encouraged by listening to Matt, so I hope you will be too. So let's get straight to it. Here's today's feature interview with Matt Fraser. Hey everyone, I'm happy to have Matt Frazier. He's author of the site No Meat Athlete and also the book No Meat Athlete and a soon to be released book, I think in May, uh, the No Meat Athlete Cookbook. So Matt, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Marley. It's good to be here. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. I mean, we have several things that we can talk about, uh, but first, I just thought it might be helpful for everybody if we could just take a step back and you could talk about your background. So I know, uh, you know, I've read on your site that you uh, became vegetarian in 2009. Can you talk a little bit about what went into that? Sure. Yeah. So I uh, I had been a marathon runner before that. I gotten into running in, in college kind of out of nowhere because I always hated it as a kid. Um but then became obsessed with the idea of qualifying for Boston. I just thought if I could qualify for the Boston Marathon, that would mean taking 100 minutes off my first marathon time. It just seemed like this enormous, exciting goal for me. And I spent seven years in total working on it. Uh, in the last year, after I had taken about 90 minutes off my marathon time, I got this urge to become vegetarian uh, for totally ethical reasons. It had nothing to do with performance. Uh, I actually thought that it was going to make the the running kind of go downhill. I thought it would it maybe be the end of my Boston journey if I made this choice. Um, but I kind of plateaued with my progress, and I said, you know what? I don't really have that much to lose. I don't think I'm necessarily going to get to Boston as it is anyway. So I'm just going to go ahead and do this and eat the way that I think is right for me. And whatever happens, happens. So I did that. Started the website. No Meat Athlete, and uh, I was in grad school and just kind of did that as a little side project as I was transitioning my diet. And then to my surprise and a lot of other people's, I actually got faster. And within six months of making that change, uh, I did qualify for Boston, took those last 10 minutes off my marathon time. And from there, you know, just kind of kept getting better. I got into ultra running, eventually went vegan. And uh, and that's that's where I am now, vegan. And, um, you know, I've done several ultras since since qualifying for and running Boston. Isn't that so interesting how we can have these things that as children we hate? Like, I, I mean, I'm thinking of beats at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> for you, it was running, you know, like, and then and the next thing you know that you're you're passionate about them as an adult. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I mean, maybe there's a reason for that, right? Maybe it's like, we we had if we if we hated something when we were little, and I, I was like that way with tomatoes as well as running. Me too, I hated um, tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, it's like once I don't know once you get a taste of them as an adult, and you have all these new experiences and things to compare it to, and like suddenly it seems good. Then it's like really exciting because because your whole life you've you've just ignored it, and it's like this brand new thing in your life. So I I think that has something to do with it. Uh, at least that's how it was for me with running and tomatoes. What did you study in grad school? I studied applied math, and I I got my master's degree, and I was working on my PhD when. Uh, the, the website got to the point where I, I kind of had to make a decision whether I wanted to continue the PhD and go that route uh, or, you know, do this and start writing books and do that. So I, I chose the No Meat Athlete thing and uh, that it's it's been the right decision so far. Well, yeah, I mean, it's pretty exciting to be, you know, have such a role in helping so many people that, you know, you've gone through these same things and now and now you can help other people go through that as well. Yeah, Definitely. And I think there's kind of this stigma that, you know, <laughs> at least I, I live in Missouri. You're in, Nash, in North Carolina, right? Yep. So in Missouri, there's still this notion that, you know, uh, vegans or vegetarians, whatever, they're kind of the hippie people and kind of weak. <laughs> so I love I love that you're bursting that, you know, that stereotype and, and changing that for, for all of us. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there definitely is that in North Carolina. I happen to live in Asheville 
which is in the mountains and it's like a really kind of it's kind of hippie town anyway <laughs> yeah. um so i'm i'm not that unique here uh but yeah i mean it's funny like really it, it kind of for me at least and maybe it's just because i've gotten more exposure to all this stuff but i feel like when i started the site back in 2009 uh, like there really wasn't like I could one of the reasons I started the site is because I couldn't find anything about what this would do to my marathon training like would this necessarily ruin it or or could somehow it be an advantage like I, I couldn't find anything when I looked around f- for that stuff and, and it turns out there were a few people doing it Brendan Brazier had written yeah. the Thrive book uh, Scott Jurek for several years at that point had been one of the top ultra marathoners but he hadn't really written anything about his diet or how he was how he was doing this um so, I mean, it was out there, but it's been in the seven years since I started that this thing has just exploded. And I don't mean my site in particular. I mean just the whole movement uh, towards the plant-based diet as, you know, being seen as a viable choice, not just for endurance sports where where it pays to be thin and light, um, but for some of these strength and speed sports. I mean, there, there are a few NFL players who have either fooled around with the diet or are currently still on it um, in the, the mixed martial arts community. Some of the the people who who win the the whole thing um, are are vegan and are so because they say it helps them with their recovery. And I've I've read about some NFL players that have taken on a vegetarian and vegan diet as well. Yep, there are those, and I mean, some of the almost all the major sports have have a couple people who have have done it with, and usually it's it's for performance reasons that they that they turn to it. I mean, the thing it's kind of a weird notion that this idea that it requires animal meat to ha- get strong and big <laughs> anyway, you know, like, <laughs> there's a lot of things in the plant based world that has a lot of calories and a lot of fat, like I'm thinking of avocados and nuts, for example. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I th- I think so much of it probably goes back, you know, much, much longer than, yeah. than the whole the industry and all that stuff telling us that we need our protein. I think it has to do with people see big animals and they're like, well, well, if I eat that big animal, then I'm going to be big and strong too. But yeah. it turns out that most of those big and strong animals don't eat much meat at all. I uh, know. So just eat plants and they get their, <laughs> yes. their protein by synthesizing it from amino acids that are in the ground. And, and you can do the same thing as a human just by skipping the, the middleman, skipping the animal part in the middle. So... I just think that's so crazy, like this notion that people think that they need to drink cow's milk to get big bones, and in reality, the cow is eating grass all day long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, cow's milk, it, the idea that that's the best food to grow a human baby into an adult, like, I mean, yeah, cow's milk is going to make you bigger, uh, but that's that's something that a cow doesn't do more than, more than a, I don't know, a year or whatever it is when they're an infant. Yeah. And it just doesn't make sense that we would drink the milk of another species instead of just our own species milk, the, the one that it's made for. Yeah. So I'm just curious, when you uh, first went plant-based or vegetarian, did you find that you actually lost weight? Is that one of the reasons that you actually ended up running faster, you think? I lost probably, when I first went vegetarian, I think I lost about five pounds in the first like two or three weeks. So, and I'm, I'm already kind of a skinny guy. So when that happened, I was worried. I was like, this is, this is going to be, I'm going to wither away to nothing. Mm. Um, but actually it leveled off right there. So I, I never lost any more weight. And like now seven years later as vegan, I'm kind of about the same weight as when I, when I actually went on this thing the, from the beginning. So I haven't really lost anything overall. Um, but I do think that five pounds that I lost right away, I think that really did help me with running because I was able to maintain my strength because I was going to the gym and I could see that I wasn't losing any strength. Yeah. Uh, but five pounds is significant in the course of a marathon. I think, I think, I don't know what the ex- actual measure is. There's like an estimate you can, you can do. I think it's, I'm not even going to try it. I probably mess it up. It's something like a one second per pound per mile or something. And, and there's some number you can, you can, you know, figure out. And I think when I said five pounds, when I put five pounds into this equation, it said something like 
five or eight minutes you should you should improve by. So like, yeah, that definitely represented a big part of the improvement for sure. But then the rest of it was probably just, uh, I don't know, inflammation or things like that, that your improved diet made an impact in your body. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that that had a ton to do with it. But even if even if it was mostly attributable to the weight loss, like <laughs> that still comes from the diet, right? I mean, the diet helped me to lose that weight and still yeah. stay strong. So um, I don't I don't feel like that takes away from it at all. But yeah, I do think that that the anti-inflammatory stuff, like I said, a lot of athletes, not just endurance athletes, are turning to this diet for for recovery reasons. And I think a ton of that has to do with the anti-inflammatory properties of plants. I mean, I was eating before this, I was eating chicken breast and brown rice like that. From, from all the reading I had done about the best optimal diet for, for endurance, I had found that a meal like that would give me would get me pretty close to the carbohydrate and protein you know, ratio that I wanted to hit throughout the day. Yeah. So I would eat that kind of stuff. But those books I was reading, they never, ever talked about micronutrients. They always focused on macros. It was calories, fat, protein, yes. and total calories. But they were just leaving out like all the amazing stuff that is in plant foods that actually isn't that that common in animal foods. So suddenly when, when the animal foods were gone and I was just, you know, basing my entire diet around what was in season or what was at the farmer's market or the produce section of the grocery store, like it was just this dramatic change to my diet. Yeah. And I was actually able to stop thinking a lot about the macronutrient balance. And I just started getting all these amazing phytonutrients and, and like you said, many of them anti-inflammatory uh, that, that I, I think had a lot to do with the recovery. I mean, you hear all the time about plant-based diet be, having been demonstrated scientifically to reverse disease in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, which is the body repairing itself. And I think on a shorter time frame, that's kind of what's happening with, with sports. You're breaking something down and you're right. asking the body to repair it quickly. And and I think plant-based diet really does help a lot with that. Uh, that's what I was going to point out, that I, I imagine there's something to the recoveries, the, the speed of recovery that happens when you're eating a plant-based diet that you probably, you know, like, I mean, if you think about it, even just like the fact that you're cholesterol-free as far as your diet is concerned, that's got to have a huge impact as well. Yeah, I mean, so if you look at, I mentioned Brendan Brazier who wrote the the Thrive book, yeah. and this isn't a scientific study or anything, but when he was in high school, he was he he decided he wanted to be a pro triathlete, yeah. and I think he's you know pretty unique in that he didn't just listen to coaches or look at what other people were doing, but he just said I'm going to experiment with different diets and find out which one is going to help me recover the fastest, so that basically so that I can get more workouts in than a comp than the competition can. Wow. And and that's how he came to a plant based diet back in you know when he was in high school, which is pretty early for anybody. Uh, but that's that's what he found was that that one. And I'm not saying it's going to be that way for everyone. I don't really yeah. know. But um, but that's what he found. He found the plant based diet was what helped him get the most workouts in in a week, and that gave him a leg up on the competition. I love that story because it kind of reminds me a little bit of Ray Cronice. You know, there's like this, um, these people that are willing to experiment and try different diets and study themselves. And then and then they land on a plant-based diet because it's the best, not because, you know, they've had these other motives. I, I think that's a great story, actually. Yeah, I, I do too. And I, I don't know if you know if he had if he had much of an ethical reason or not. I know Ray, Ray's a friend of mine as well. He, he definitely does not. He always reminds me of that. He, he is in this for the health and the yes. longevity. And, uh, and yeah, and I think that's a great thing. I think when, when you get a doctor who, who can make that claim that they are not ethically motivated, that's, that's a good thing, right? I know vegans always want everyone to be ethically motivated, but yeah. uh, I think, I think it does is. a lot. Yeah. Right, and I think it does a lot for the movement when, when someone clearly says, I am not this, I'm just a scientist, and I've made this decision. I think that's really helpful. 
Yeah, I like that. And I think it's so important. I feel like if we only stick with people who are ethically motivated, uh, we really limit the amount of people who could consider a vegan diet. So for me, actually, I've broken it down to three different kinds of vegans. Like there's a plant-based vegan who is probably very motivated about their health. There's um, what I call like a fearless vegan. It's really more someone that's, uh, they're into trying different kinds of food and they, uh, and, and vegan just fits their lifestyle. And then, and then there's the, what I call the convenient vegan. And that's, you know, uh, people who are also, maybe they're motivated because of different reasons. Like I have a friend that has a disease, I think lupus, and the doctors recommended a plant-based diet, and that's really been helpful for her. Or, you know, I have another friend that actually got bit by a tick. And as a result, she can no longer eat meat products. Is that crazy? Wow. I know. It's a real, I actually looked it up online. It's a real disease that's out there. Um, And so I think there's a lot of reasons that that maybe people maybe they're concerned about the environment or or whatever they just like animals and they don't want to you know kill them and so as a result um they still want the foods that they grew up eating and they don't want to spend a lot of time in the kitchen so i feel like there's just like ways to incorporate include a lot of people in this movement yeah absolutely cool well um i was going to ask you so how do you eat today what does your diet look like at this moment uh i mean i think my diet probably might seem boring to some people um (laughs) I mean, it's just it's just gotten so simple. Like I, I I really like cooking, and I used to love cooking. Uh, but as I've as I've eaten more and more, uh, my my eating has become more and more about whole foods. The the emphasis on I don't yeah. know making food really delicious for me has kind of has kind of decreased. It's more just about you know what what's going to be quick and easy and really pack in a ton of nutrition. Um, so I mean, like I said, it's all whole foods. We don't typically use olive oil anymore at home. Even we just pretty much eat everything unprocessed. Uh, which means almost nothing we buy comes in a package or with a nutrition label on it. It's stuff from the produce section, from the farmer's market, sometimes from the bulk food section, the nuts and the oatmeal and things like that. Um, but it's pretty much just foods without packages. Lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. And you say garden. sometimes from the bulk food areas like nuts, so it's predominantly vegetables and fruits, and sometimes you're adding nuts to that? Uh, no, I mean, I think it's it's part of uh, my daily diet. It's just it's just we tend to buy those like in large amounts and then have yes. them for a while. So it's not every shopping trip that we need to go there. Um, but yeah, so I I'm I try to get that stuff. I try to get lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, uh-huh. nuts and seeds every single day. I make a lot of nut based salad dressings, um, like a tahini dressing or a yes. cashew ranch dressing. Those are my typical salad dressings. Uh, and then you know I still like cooking a nice dinner now and then. I'll make I'll make a pasta dish or a stir fry without oil, of course, but yeah. Um, you know, or, or rice and beans or tacos. I mean, there's all kinds of different things. And especially if you kind of are willing to go out of the, the American food box and just use, use kind of different ethnic foods. Um, I don't know. I found that it's really not very hard to, to eat this way. And, uh, yeah. and you can, you can really get a ton of great nutrition in your body. Uh, if, if you just put a little bit of emphasis into it. So like, I, I am trying to get better about uh, some of the things like Dr. Gregor has his daily dozen. Yes, and I have that app. Do you have that app? I don't. I don't even have a smartphone, so I have no apps. But <laughs> I have his book, uh, and I can leaf through leaf through that back of that one. Um, but like, so I don't. I don't typically drink green tea. It's not. It's not something that I just do. I tend to prefer coffee. But because of that, I've made efforts. So nowadays in the afternoon, I'll typically make a cup of green tea or hibiscus yeah. tea, just because Gregor recommends them. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of. I have a lot of little regimens where I try to add these things in that don't necessarily naturally fit in with the way I would typically yeah. eat, but uh, I make the effort to to just get these little antioxidant boosts. What about sweets? Do you have any sweets in your diet? You know what? The sweetest foods I eat are fruits. And it's not it's not like 
I've made some huge effort to get there. I just, for some reason, have never really had a sweet tooth. Like, I just don't like ice creams or cakes or desserts. I just don't really eat those things. Uh, my, I have two kids. They're six and three, and they love them, of course. So now and then we'll, we'll do some little thing, or my wife will make cookies from a cookbook. Um, but it's just, it's just not really a, a fruit is our, is our sweets. Well, and there are some fruits that are pretty sweet, like dates and figs. Yeah, yeah. And, and mangoes are pretty pretty high in sugar as well, and those are something that we eat a lot. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and we let our kids eat those as much as they possibly want, so they eat a lot of them. That's nice. Okay, so I, I think there's something that we have in common, and that is that we both love hot sauce. <laughs> I heard you say that on your podcast. <laughs> yep, that's absolutely right. I yep. do. And uh, yeah, so when I was mentioning all the things I eat in the day, that typically shows up on a lot of them. I'll put it on, <laughs> Me too. I'll put it on salads with the ranch and make like a buffalo ranch dressing. Yeah. Um, it goes on the tacos. It goes on the Indian food. So yeah, I use that all the time. And uh, yeah. it's, it's nice that it's vegan. My husband is pretty convinced that I've blown out my taste buds, but I don't believe I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is about hot sauce. I was my dad was just visiting, and he he that's probably where I got this love for spicy foods. And we were trying to think like I don't know what it is. Like I can't say I mean I, I love eating the hot sauce. I can't say I enjoy the pain of when it's so hot that I can barely eat it. Um, it's almost like a drug. I don't know what it, it is. is. I just, just I just get to the point where I need it on everything. Someone, my my father-in-law said to me once, like, you know, I don't like eating hot sauce because it feels like my mouth is on fire. And I said, well, that's kind of my goal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a pretty healthy com- condiment. It doesn't have that no, much sodium. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's one of my, that's much more my weakness than, than sugar is salt. I, I tend to want to put a lot of salt on everything. So that's been something that in the see. past three years or so, I've kind of worked to, to reduce that. So the hot sauce kind of helps you not put as much salt on your food? Yeah, I mean, hot sauce is typically not a sodium-free condiment by any means, but yeah. um, you know, it, it's it's a nice substitute, a lower sodium substitute for salt or soy sauce. That's cool. Okay, so obviously running is a big part of your life. Can you talk a little bit about what your exercise looks like in, a, in an average week or a month or whatever? Yeah, so if I am training seriously for a race, which I really haven't done in a few years now, uh, like I said, I, I did that for seven years trying to get to Boston, then got into ultra running and I did three 50 mile races and a hundred mile races or a hundred mile race. Um, so for those, I mean, I don't know if at the peak of training, I might get up to 50 or 60 miles per week, which for me is a lot. And like, that's kind of feels like it's sort of my upper limit. And maybe I could get up to 80 if I, if I was really diligent about strength training and recovery exercises and all that. But 60 feels like a, a good, comfortable peak mileage for me. And that the way that would look, you know, might be most of it's going to be on the weekend. There might be a, a 20 miler on Saturday and a 10 miler on Sunday and then 30 other miles or 20 other miles spread throughout the remaining five days of the week, usually with a day off in there. So something like five to seven miles on a typical day with a day off and then you got two longer runs on the weekend. That was what I did for my 100 mile training. Uh, a marathon training would just be somewhat less mileage, one long run on the weekend but uh, those those workouts, I mean, like what you're actually doing during the week, for, there's I think a lot of people would be surprised at how often I or pretty much anyone who who is having some success at uh, at the distances they're running, how how much of their mileage is slow and easy. And that's one of the reasons I always hated running as a kid is that I thought running had to be hard. I thought like if you finish a, a run, whether it's a mile or a half an hour or two hours, you're going to be completely exhausted and you had better be exhausted. And if you're not, then it means you didn't work out out hard enough. Well, it turns out that that mindset is why I struggled with injuries so much when I did start running 
because I was always trying to go as hard as I could. And I didn't understand how important it was for an endurance athlete to do lots of really easy, slow recovery runs. Hmm. So um, I would say 70 to 80% of the actual miles I run in a given week are are that they're they're this slow conversational pace where you can literally carry on a conversation while you're running. Uh, for some people, this means when you hit a hill, you start walking, and and like you can put on a heart rate monitor and make sure you stay below this certain threshold. Um, but so that that's what most of it looks like, which means that most of that the running time you can just kind of zone out and relax, listen to a podcast, meditate. I mean, all kinds of different things you can do. And it's really just not that painful. And then you've got a smaller percentage of the miles each week, maybe two workouts a week besides the long run that are difficult. We're trying to hit certain heart rates or certain paces, interval workouts, tempo workouts, hill workouts. Um, but these have a, have a pretty small role. I mean, now and then, you know, once, twice a week, you will do a workout like this. But the most of the miles that I do are much, much easier than that. Um, so that's that's kind of what training looked like for me when I was training for for hard races, and I certainly will do that again. But for the past few years, it's kind of been a much more relaxed. I don't know. I've kind of been running more for what it does for my head than for my body, and <laughs> so that that just means going out twenty to forty minutes for however many miles I can get in. Then I don't typically count you know that carefully how many miles I'm running. It's more like just go out for for half an hour or so and and relax. And to me, it's it's sort of like a meditation. It's also a wonderful use of, of an hour sometimes. I, like I said, I have the two kids, and it's noisy, it's hectic. Yes. They, they always have lots of you know fun but, but difficult demands and things. So just to be able to go out, listen to a podcast, get, get myself mentally removed, be by myself, uh, that, that's a very good use of, of a half an hour or an hour for me. So that's kind of what my running looks like now, just much more uh, relaxed, meditative type of running than, than you know, going hard to try to get faster. I love hearing you say that because I think, um, you know, I'm not a run. I mean, let me just say this. I had a, a friend in uh, in college. She was a an All-American. She was just a, you know, outstanding runner. And so um, she kind of got me into running um, <laughs> because, well, she would train with me when she was injured or sick. <laughs> and, and sometimes we would run these races together. Like, a, I mean, there were others of us with, you know, together too, but she would win the 5K and then she would come back and, and finish <laughs> mine with me to warm herself down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm just I'm not a fast runner at all, but um, I I do kind of enjoy, I have enjoyed running at different times of my life, and so like lately it's been I have this four mile loop that is is around my house, and so I just kind of do this what feels natural of kind of running and walking, and so hearing you say that makes me feel like I can I can still include myself in the running group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it, there's this just this big thing about running that it has to be fast, and everyone has this is reluctant to call themselves a runner yeah. because they're not fast enough. And yeah, I just think wow, that's yeah. that's just ridiculous. You know, I mean, I don't know. For long term, the thing that's going to be sustainable and pro- maybe the thing that's going to be even healthier than really going hard and getting your body into this acid state and, and you know, burning all yeah. these these carbohydrates is, is the nice, slow, fat-burning run. Um, I just think, I don't know, I think it's much more sustainable and stresses your body somewhat less. And I think probably for longevity, that's a good thing. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with with running slowly. So, you know, speaking of Ray Cronice earlier, it just, uh, I've listened to him talk a few times about exercise. And, you know, he is, he went through that time where, you know, he doesn't eat for days at a time. And mm-hmm. then uh, during that time, he's not not exercising a lot. And I, so it just kind of got me thinking. I, and also, I think with winter coming up, like right now, it's easy to get out. And I'm wondering, like, how am I going to do this over the winter? And um, I just kind of wonder, like, what is the purpose of exercise? And then hearing you talk about that, it's really more mental than anything is uh, really, 
I mean, that's, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it has a strong mental benefit to it. And I think maybe that's dependent somewhat on the type of person. I mean, it's yeah. clearly, I think, linked to, to and it's it's sort of a nice antidepressant exercise. I think it's oh, a pretty yeah. well-known thing, anti-anxiety. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't mean to imply that, that exercise doesn't have a lot of really good benefits for health and longevity. The distinction that, that Ray makes a lot is that, that yes, exercise is a very healthy activity to do, but it's really not the the way to lose weight. I mean, it, it might contribute in a small way to weight loss. It also might not. It also might contribute in a small way to weight gain. Um, so people like Ray are are really coming around to the idea that that weight loss is so much about diet, yeah. uh, maybe 80 90%. He's even pointed out in one of his papers, uh, I think he just referenced another study, where they showed that the the way people the amount of miles that a person actually walks in this modern supposedly sedentary society is actually really similarly or maybe it's not miles walk but the the amount of calories burned in a day is really similar to what to what you know our our ancestors from from tens of thousands of years ago did so it's it's although we are pretty sedentary and we do sit all day which is going to you know breed health problems of course um, it's not that we're burning that many fewer calories throughout the day it's it's more that we're just eating an immensely larger amount than than we ever ate before. Um, so you know, as Ray has has taught me, it, it's exercise is a really healthy activity. There's lots of things that it does that are great for your body. Uh, can help to fight cancer. Can help you know with with muscles. Can, all kinds of things that it can do just in the long term that are great. Um, but it's not really a, a weight loss thing. So do you find that you're sedentary during the day as well? I mean, I'm just curious, do you have a standing desk? Or how do you kind of counteract that? Yeah, I mean, that's it's something that I'm constantly trying to to be better about. I have yeah. a desk that goes up and down. It's called a Veridesk, V-A-R, uh-huh. yeah, V-A-R-I desk, uh, which is really nice because it can, it can move up and down. The first time I tried to make myself a standing desk out of like concrete blocks and, and <laughs> yeah. putting my table up in there, I realized like two hours into the day that I really wanted to sit. So I kind of just stopped working because I wanted to yes. go sit on the couch. Uh, so the, the Veridesk was nice because I could put it up and down. So just I could kind of ease my way with like a smaller steps approach, basically, yeah. um, to, to you know, building this standing habit. Um, so yes, I do that. I don't, like right now I'm sitting because sometimes I, I sit and there are a lot of things that, that I, tend to, I tend to do better. Like I, I have trouble, if I have to sit down and write something, maybe I have to write a thousand word article. Yeah. I, I have trouble doing that while I'm standing. It just feels like one extra obstacle that makes it hard, makes it easy to procrastinate too. Yeah. Uh, to do so, you know, I, I go up and down throughout the day, but I I kind of think more important than that, like because you can also stand unhealthily. You can balance on one leg, which is a tendency a lot of people with standing desks do, is they end up standing on one leg and and just doing this weird kind of weight shifting thing. Uh, so I think it's just way more important that you that you move throughout the day as much as possible. Uh, so I'll, I'll usually do a workout in the middle of the day. Uh, I've got the kids, so they they keep me moving around, picking stuff up off off the ground. I mean, all that stuff is good, but I don't pretend at all that it's that it's ideal. I mean, I think ideal would be if we if we all lived and gardened outside all the time. That would probably be a much uh, much better lifestyle. Yeah, that that sounds great. I think that would be wonderful. <laughs> so you talk a lot about uh, habits. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that you talk about on your site, and I'm just curious, like. How can people use, I mean, the information is here, you know, we're talking about Ray Cronice, we're talking about Dr. Greger, we've also talked about Dr. Fuhrman and and his great advice on diet. So people have the information they need, but yet some, you know, I can even say for my life personally, I I am pretty good on my diet. However, you know, I I like the dates or I like, you know, I may, I, you can easily overeat too many nuts or whatever. Like, what is your tip on on habits and how to have the best habits in your life? 
I mean, that's a, a huge topic. I know. I, I think I think the place that most people get it wrong, and I, I am no different, uh, is they tend to want to go, they don't have patience, basically. They want yeah. to go all in, all at once. They decide they're going to make a change. They get inspired to make a change, uh, or they realize they need to make a change for some reason. And they're not really able, like people will say like everything in moderation, but they're not really able to truly moderate and stick to it. So what they end up doing is trying to go all in and do everything. And they say, I'm going to become vegan overnight, or I'm going to, whatever, go totally low fat diet overnight or paleo overnight, whatever they're trying to get to, they try to do it right away. Um, And same goes for exercise habits. Someone says, well, I need to start exercising. So therefore I'm going to set up this exercise routine that has me exercising 30 minutes a day, three times a week or four times a week at first. And what happens is this lasts for a week or two weeks and then your willpower is strained and then something happens, some sort of event happens that causes you to miss your thing. Maybe your friends are going to happy hour or something and you're supposed mm-hmm. to be doing your workout. You push it off till Friday uh, and you skip it because you just can't, you just, you literally don't have any more willpower. You have drained that willpower resource. And then because you had this sort of perfectionist mindset, then everything's out the window and, and you're done and you never go back to the gym again or you, you know, completely go off your diet uh, so I think way, way better than that for most changes is to take a much smaller steps approach and say, like, I don't need to get here overnight. Uh, it's okay if it takes me, if it took me a year to get to these really good habits, that would be fine because my life hopefully is going to be way more than a year long. And I'm way better off, like, building a really solid foundation, getting there really gradually so in a way that doesn't tax my willpower. Um, and, and like, you know, having the patience, having the restraint to say, okay, I, I, my tendency is I want to go to the gym 30 minutes a day for four days a week. So I think that's what you're supposed to do. But what I'm going to do is start with just five minutes this first time, or I'm just going to go out the door and run around my block for two minutes. And I'm going to do that every day for this first week. And that will be success. Just running around the block, which takes one minute. Uh, for most people, that's, that's not enough. So they won't, they won't really do it. They All want to do right. more than that. But if you can get yourself to just do that, you're not going to be making any physical changes. Nothing is going to change physically about you, but you will begin to start reinforcing this habit in your brain that, first of all, says, I trust myself. When I say I'm going to do something, I actually stick to it, which is not the experience most people have when they say they're going to do something. Most people have the idea that if they say something, they're probably going to fail at it pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So, so first of all, this reinforces the idea that when I say I'm going to do something, I actually do it. Second of all, it actually is just building this habit loop. It, it starts, especially if you put it after a certain trigger, like right when you walk home, well, get home from work or right when you wake up or maybe right after you eat lunch. I mean, who knows when it is in your day, but if there's some activity that always happens every day at a given time and you say, when this happens, that's my trigger to now go outside and run around my block. Then you've started to develop this, this thing in your brain uh, that's going to make it way, way easier and way less taxing on your willpower when the next week you say, okay, now I'm going to go around that block twice. And gradually, for as long as you can, as long as you don't miss a day, and if you miss a day, I would recommend you you stay where you are and try to get a get a full weekend before you increase it. Uh, you're just gradually doing this, and and the willpower is not being taxed. It's not a hard thing to do because it's not a big increase in the amount of effort you're putting out. Uh, and in that way, if you give yourself a month or you know even six months, that's how you build up to to really working out consistently a lot. It just, I mean, there are exceptions. People who are really, really motivated to do something where there's a lot of, in, a lot of yeah. intrinsic motivation, not, not someone trying to get them to do something or not feeling like right. they should do something. Um, you know, they can make the, the all in all at once approach stick. Sometimes you can do that if you have enough initial excitement about it and, and you can kind of, you know, hang in there as your willpower drains. 
But uh, I think for most people, when, when it's a change that you're not that excited about making, but you feel like you need to, I think that smaller steps approach is, is the smarter one. It almost feels like, uh, I don't know if you agree with this, but it seems like if you if you needed to make some big life changes, that starting with the exercise might be the better one to start with and then just to focus on your diet. Would you agree with that? I think it depends a lot on, on the person and what you're trying to do. I mean, in fact, if someone if someone needs to make big life changes, and you know that that may go even beyond their their physical health. Mm-hmm. I would say the most important thing you can do is is start carving out a little bit of time to do an activity that you actually enjoy yes. each day. Uh, yeah. It doesn't have to be a physical thing. It could be just reading a book. Like what what is the activity that you say? If I if I only had thirty minutes more at the end of each day and I had no obligations during that time, what would I do with that time? And you can't say just rest and do nothing because that's not that doesn't count. Um, but like what, what activity would fulfill you, would make you really excited about making other changes so that you can, you know, do more of this activity for some people that might be yoga for some people, maybe it's running for some might be playing an instrument. Maybe it's reading a book. I would say that's the very first thing. Just get yourself out of the, the, this space where it seems like we have all this, all these obligations throughout the day and there's no time left for ourselves. I would say get used to treating yourself well, um, once you've done that, you know, I don't know. I, mean, I think it, it really probably depends on the person. I would say go with the one that is more exciting to you between, between food and exercise, the one you are dreading the least. Because like I said, that, that willpower, things that drain your willpower, that's kind of your enemy in the beginning of, of making any sort of habit changes. And momentum is your friend. So I would say whatever's the thing that's going to be easiest for you to feel like you're succeeding at, I would, I would change that first and oh, then move on to the next one. That's cool. So um, willpower is easily drained and momentum is your friend. So try to stick with the momentum side of things. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the more times you can successfully do something, and hopefully, I, I mentioned having the trigger and then doing the action. If you have some sort of reward at the end of that, and that could be as simple as marking on a calendar, like a little X on your wall that says, I did this thing this day. Every time you get one of those X's, you are, you're reinforcing this habit. So the more of those successes you can get, the, the more this is becoming an automatic thing that doesn't even take any willpower. So it's really like a race. It's like, will your willpower drain first or will it become a habit first? And, uh, and I think that's, that's the reason to kind of choose the things that, that are easier in the beginning. So what about people who are wanting to make changes to their diet? I mean, how I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do. And how, how do you recommend um, creating habits around that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's another thing where if someone has experienced it as a hard thing to do, if you haven't experienced it as a hard thing to do or you're really excited about changing something, then I, I think you should go for the massive action approach and change a whole lot of stuff at once. But then just realize if it doesn't work out, then you didn't fail. You're not done trying to yeah. change your diet. You then try a different approach and you know try as many approaches as it takes. But typically after a massive action type approach, I would try a smaller steps one. And and so and if you're someone who has failed in the past, then maybe starting with the smaller steps is the smarter thing. Uh, there are a couple ways to do it. I mean, I think like you're going to figure out some sort of diet that you're trying to get to. And for not not everyone's going to say that for them it's a plant based diet. Yeah. Um, I'll use that as my example, just since for me it, that's kind of what it was. And for a lot of people, I, I think it is the right choice. Um, but like so, to meet this Monday is a is a perfect starter type habit. Like if you could actually get yourself to stick to something rather than saying, and I get so many emails from people who say. I've tried to make my family go vegan, but as soon as we start doing it, we get three days in and it's like suddenly we're out of planned meals, we're out of prep meals, and we just fail after two or three days. So the answer to that is is just really make just one day a week that you are going to do really yes. well on. And that way you can spend the whole rest of the week or however many days it takes before that day actually preparing so that you get that day right. Going to the grocery store, you know, prepping your food 
having the recipes in mind, whatever you can do to make sure that day is set up for success. And once you can do it for one day, then you know, add another day that's, that's three days later in the week. So now you'll be doing two days a week, each three days apart. Yeah. And you get to the point where, each of the, where you can handle each of those things. And once you know what, what it is to do a successful day, I think you're, you're more able to, to add more and more days on there. Uh, another approach to it would be you know, try to do something on a daily basis. And this will probably form a habit faster uh, because it's a daily action. You get that daily momentum happening. But just, you know, set a, a time in the day that you're going to do really well until. So it might start out as I'm going to get breakfast right. Like breakfast is going to be the meal that I absolutely nail. And I'm going to prepare for that. And I'm going to make sure that every night my breakfast for the next day is set. I know what I'm going to do. Um, and for a lot of people, a smoothie is like a nice a nice start to that. I know not everyone these days is is on board with smoothies as the ultimate health food. Uh, but I think it's a really, really good starter. It's a really yeah. good kind of way to, to get started with taking in lots and lots of good micronutrients yeah. um, in something that's that's going to fill you up and, and taste good. It's just a really nice way to start. So if like if that's where you need to start with, I'm going to start each day with a smoothie instead of you know the eggs and bacon or the McDonald's or whatever it was that was before. Like that's wonderful. And then once that gets to a point where it is no longer creating friction in your life, no longer draining any willpower, then you can say, okay, now I'm going to make this this you know good healthy eating last through lunch. And now I'm going to you know plan a big salad with beans and a dressing. Doesn't have to be nut based dressing at first if that's just like too too far for you to go. Um, you know, it's, but whatever whatever your picture of a healthy lunch is on, on whatever your ideal is that you're aiming for. Like say now, okay, now I'm going to stay that way through lunch. And then once that's comfortable, you can make it go through your afternoon snack. And then you know some people will never do dinner. There's there's a good group of people called called raw till four, and they they eat raw foods all day. And then at four o'clock they eat they eat cooked dinner. Uh, so I, I mean, healthy till four is not a terrible strategy at the beginning. Yeah. Just you know, do healthy stuff, and then let your dinner still be whatever it is that that really makes you happy and and fulfilled. And over time, the more days you can log where you are getting wonderful healthy foods in your body for lunch and breakfast, I think it's just going to start to create this desire to eat healthier foods at dinner. And I think very naturally you'll start to move towards healthier dinners. I love this perspective, Matt. This is really good because it's like I had never really thought of diet as a skill before. So like um, your diet is a skill and just like any skill, it needs practice before you can get better at it. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's it's totally counterintuitive. And it's like yeah. any other habit, right? We just think that we can we kind of think that we have the ability to change that or that right. like that, like it's up to us in our willpower to change. But you can actually be smart about it. And you can you can do things that have been proven to work better. And, and yeah. typically that means lessening the uh, the drain on your willpower. Like the more you can lessen the drain on the willpower, make the steps smaller and easier, the more likely you are to succeed. And I think going along with that, the more you can kind of give yourself, uh, like you were saying earlier, some compassion uh, as you're getting used to this. Uh, and, and it is a skill that you're growing that, and you'll just get better at it. And the next thing you know, it'll be like <clears throat> second nature, just like your current diet is. Yeah. And, and I mean, one final thing about it on that note about giving yourself compassion is that uh, this smaller steps approach, it doesn't breed perfectionism the way that the yes. I'm changing everything at once approach does. So with that, with that approach, when you have said, okay, today's the day that I draw the line and for now <laughs> on I'm different, then, then as soon as you fail at that, like as soon as one day comes up when for whatever yeah. reason things didn't align in your favor and you just gave in, then it feels like I completely failed. Like I had this new identity and now that is 
been proven to be a lie and it's false and I'm just going back to how I was before. Then it's like, oh, well, I messed up today, so I might as well just like have a pie for dessert. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And that I've heard people say those those exact things, right? Like because yep. I made this mistake, then I should just just throw everything out the window. Yeah. Uh, and, and when you're taking these smaller steps, it doesn't feel like that. When you mess up one day in your in your small steps thing, if you miss one smoothie in the morning, it doesn't feel like, okay, I, I just ruined that whole thing. It just feels like, okay, I had one day and I didn't have a smoothie that morning, so I'm going to get back to it tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, it just tends to be a much less perfectionist attitude, and I think that's a good thing. And I think what would be really cool about that day is if you did mess up and, and miss that smoothie in the morning – observe how you feel, like kind of think, well, yeah, you know what, I actually feel better on the days that I have the smoothies. <laughs> yep, yep. And then, okay, I said, I said that would be the last thing I said, but here's one more <laughs> thing. Um, one of the best skills you can have in changing any sort of habit is set up a little meeting with yourself. It could be whatever's a non-busy time for you when you know you can keep this meeting. And maybe it's a Sunday afternoon and you say, I'm going to sit down at three o'clock on Sunday afternoon with myself and a pen and paper. And I'm going to say, for 10 minutes, here's the stuff. Here's how my habits change went this week. This week, And on Wednesday, I didn't eat the healthy breakfast and lunch that I said I was going to eat. And here's what happened. And here's how I can make sure I'm ready for that next time. Because it's going to happen again, whatever situation caused that. Here's how I can be more ready for that. Just as if you only committed to that, this check-in period that said, every Sunday I'm going to check in and see how I did with this, this plan to eat healthier. You can't go too many of those Sundays writing down, I did terrible, I didn't do anything, yes. I'm going to start next week. You just can't do it, do that over and over without finally actually making the change. So I think I think setting up a little bit of accountability with yourself is a really, really useful thing to do. Oh, that's great. Great stuff. And in fact, if you could have an accountability partner, that's even better, right? Yep. Someone else you're talking to? Absolutely. And and that's it's not the same as just announcing on Facebook to your friends saying, hey, yeah. I'm changing my diet. Because it turns out that can actually yeah. lessen your chances of, of success, which most people don't realize. Yeah. Um, but if you actually get someone, if, if when you make that Facebook post, you say, hey, I'm looking for someone or a few people who want to do this with me, like do their yes. own habit change along with me changing my thing. And we're going to meet on these certain days, maybe even every day, have a little Google Doc that you check in with each other on. Uh, or even a friendly wager between each other. I'm mean, just something that where you're not the only one who knows about it when you when you mess up. Oh, this is great stuff. I I'm sure this is going to be so helpful to so many people. So, hey Matt, anything new coming up on the horizon for you? I know you've got a new book coming up. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the big thing. It's called the No Meat Athlete Cookbook. It will be out next May uh, with a, a good publisher who did the Forks Over Knives book, who I'm really excited about. Um, that's that's really the big thing. Um, there's not. Not a whole lot else. I'm trying to sort of oh, that's <laughs> relax a lot. and get that. Yeah, oh, it definitely is a lot. Um, I mean, I've got a few speaking events and things. Speaking at the Remedy Food Conference in Atlanta in November, uh, doing a vegan running retreat at this place called the Stanford Inn in October. Uh, so you could you could find those things if you just Google No Meat Athlete and and the name of that event. Um, but no, I'm trying to trying to just I don't know be a dad and husband and <laughs> have fun at home and blogger too, right? <laughs> yeah, trying to do all that. Okay, so a couple of fun questions here at the end of the interview. So, what's one food item you can't live without? <laughs> oh my gosh, I think I already said hot sauce. So that's uh, yeah, not that, the not hot sauce. <laughs> it's not hot sauce. Um, wow. I've got hummus. Hummus is a good one. I ah. absolutely have to eat hummus all the time. It's just such a good food. We get a nice oil-free version from this company that makes it in Asheville. Uh, but that that is a you know a good condiment, a good snack. It's just a delicious food. Yeah, and it's uh, it's great on veggie burgers in place of mayo. I love I like using hummus like that. Yeah, great. Okay, so do you have any favorite um, workout music that you listen to? 
Uh, you know what? I like. There's a guy named Ben Gibbard who who was in Death Cab. I guess he might still be in Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, I always like his stuff for workouts. I don't know what it is about his voice or the type of music he does, but that uh, that has always been a staple on my running playlist. And also, I mean, the guilty pleasure stuff, the the pop music that I'm embarrassed to listen to, that <laughs> just works so well on a on a running playlist. It just it's just one time when you absolutely want to hear that music. Yes, it kind of gets you pumped up and ready to go. What, what was his name yeah. again? Ben what? Uh, Benjamin Gibbard, G I B B A R D. Okay, cool. Okay, so what inspires you? That's a good question. What inspires me? Um, what inspires me is really, really big goals and really huge grand visions for what the future could be. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer that you're more likely to achieve a goal that seems ridiculous and impossible, but is really, really exciting for you than you are to achieve one that seems like, yeah, I could probably do that if I if I worked hard at it. Because those those goals don't typically have that much excitement. Like if if it was that yeah. if it was something that you knew you could do if you worked hard at it, you probably would have done it by now if it really was going to you know do anything for you or change your life or or be a huge meaningful experience. So um, that that's what inspires me. It's just it's just a compelling vision for the future uh, and and something that if I told people what it was, they would laugh at how ridiculous it is. <laughs> Sounds good. So how can people find you online? Uh, everything I do is pretty much under No Meat Athlete. So you can, there's nomadeathlete.com, which is kind of the, the home for the blog and the podcast. Uh, of course, there is the podcast, the No Meat it's called No Meat Athlete Radio on iTunes or anywhere else. Uh, Facebook, we're at No Meat Athlete. Twitter, I'm at, at No Meat Athlete. And Instagram, we're No Meat Athlete underscore official because somebody beat us to that one. Ah, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> hey, Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I had a great time. Thank you, Marley. Me too. Thanks to Matt Frazier for being my guest on today's episode of the Namely Marley podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, just head over to the show notes page at namelymarley.com forward slash podcast. I hope you're loving the Namely Marley podcast. If so, there are a couple of ways you can help support the show. You can head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. You can share this episode with your friends and family on social media. You can even share about it on your own blogger podcast. All of these things are so helpful and it really means a lot. So until next time, may health and happiness come your way today.